On this week's episode of Australian Survivor Talking Tribal, George and Haley talk to us about the emotional and physical impact of being two weeks into the game. We talk about Queen Sandra's big move. We talk about twists and tribe swaps and just how to survive them. As well as that, George talks with one of our eliminated contestants. All right, thanks for being with us here on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. It's a big episode coming up, but I got to warn you before we get into it, if you haven't seen this week's episodes of Australian Survivor, I'm talking about episode four, five, and six. You're going to go back and watch them because there's a heap of spoilers ahead. And you can do that by just logging on to 10 Play on demand and catching up with all those eps. As always this week, I'm joined by our expert panel, Survivor Export and Podcast Extraordinaire, Shannon Gus, joins us. King George of Bankstown from last year's season. And of course, our reigning soul survivor, Haley, is with us as always. Great to have you on board, guys. And we're going to start with just trying to find out from you who was your favorite player or biggest move or just general highlight from this week's play. My favorite player this week has been Sam Gash. She started off the week having just put a vote on Sandra, but somehow she shifted the blame for that onto Dave and made him a target. So that has been really interesting to see her get away with. And she's managed to make some big moves that stay in the middle each time and really held herself in a nice spot. When we saw Sophie get voted out, uh, Sam could have had a target coming onto her, but she's now shifted that job off to Mark to then have to deal with. And she's um, eyes on the prize. So Sandgash, definitely my player of the week. My favorite moment of this week is actually a challenge moment. I'm a big fan of strategy, but this week I was blown away by Benny in that immunity challenge. He put out this massive effort. He held that log for the entirety of the tribe. I was on the edge of my seat. I was screaming, hold on. And he managed to win immunity for them. That was my epic moment of the week. I think my favourite moment of the week was just having the privilege of watching and listening to Queen Sandra outline her thoughts in detail on how to navigate this early part of Australian Survivor. When she's referring to herself as the American Eagle just hovering above and swooping at these rookies, I'm just revelling in her presence Queen Sandra's been phenomenal. Sam Gash, I agree with you, is playing an extraordinary game so far. And just overall, I am just loving this season of Australian Survivor so far. Yeah, I would agree. My player of the week would be Sandra. And my moment of the week, I mean, it's several moments. It's, it's a whole sequence through the week of just watching Sandra slice and dice through the game. I feel like the running theme of the week was people telling us that they had secret alliances and then Sandra telling us that she knew about those secret alliances. So her awareness is second to none probably in the entire global franchise and just watching her slice the, the tribe basically into voting blocks by the end and give her faction just the most dominant power uh, by going for one side in the Alpha Alliance and then they were, when they were defanged by Sophie being taken out to go for another side because at that point, she could make two more less threatening factions. I just thought that she was amazing. And as George said, it's just a privilege to watch the queen work her magic. So we're on to our second week of being in the outback. Hayley and George, you know better than anyone, the emotional and physical toll that it takes. What would the contestants be going through right now? And where were you guys at at this stage? Look, as someone that is not an athlete, um, it's really tough out there. And then you have the even greater kind of mix 
of not having experience of living in the outdoors. But right now, you really start to determine two weeks in who is focused on the game and who is willing to do what it takes for the game to survive. You really have to push through the physical elements. You have to manage your energy. You have to manage your thoughts. You have to manage your internal resources and allocate them to perfection. Otherwise, your body's going to break down. And we saw that happen this week. Yeah, the week two of Survivor starts getting really tough because at the start, you've got this adrenaline, you've got some body stores because you've been stuffing your face with food before you went to the game. I had all these big plans, come off sugar, come off coffee. Uh, Yeah, and then when I'm a few days into going into the game, I'm telling myself, I'm about to be without these things for so long. Give me sugar, like give me coffee. And I spent many nights lying there daydreaming about these lollies that I just had before I went into the game and in the second week that all starts to deplete so you really start feeling a lot more tired you're being hit hit with these really physical challenges and you're being knocked about by those and the elements can really start to get to you you might start getting really sunburnt really dry lips mosquitoes might be biting Uh, that can start to compound and can make your sleep worse, make your sleep is worse, your brain's not working so well, and you might make mistakes strategically. So it's starting to get really tough for them out there. With that in mind, how hard is it to be in that environment, be drained physically and mentally, and then jump into an endurance challenge like we saw this week? Yeah, James, you nailed it there. It is the mental strength. So your brain is telling you, stop, let go, this is painful, but you need to have full concentration on nothing but the idea of hold on, breathe, hold on, I can do it. So you have to keep self-reaffirming that you can do it. And Benny was epic in his ability to do that. Uh, You could see Sam was quieting the tribe, don't say anything, just letting him know that everyone's dropping out, giving him that hope, um, and it worked to perfection. It was such an epic moment. I think you've got to look at Survivor as a 47-game war, and you've got to pick the battles that you can win. So At this stage of the game where you are a clog in your tribe machine, you have the internal pressure of not wanting to let the tribe down. And then you know that if you win immunity for your tribe, you get an extra couple of days. So like Hayley said, that is enough to give you that extra bit of energy you need to contribute to the challenge, to contribute to the win. But you've also got to tell yourself, you don't want to injure yourself and exert so much physical strain that you eventually get medevaced or injured where you have to quit like Alex did. It's just adrenaline. Like it is pure adrenaline out there. You could be dragging your feet to get yourself to a challenge. You might have not won any rewards or had barely any food. But the minute they say go, just something takes over and it is just pure adrenaline to win at all costs, even if you're expelling a lot of energy for a glass of juice. (laughs) Obviously, food's a big part of the game and Khan has taken up the role of campfire chef. We've seen him whip up some Survivor tacos. That was uh, a first. Were you guys impressed with that? I know you guys have mentioned maybe some arancini balls might be something you'd like to see. They've only got beans and rice, basically, and a bit of fish. But what else would you love to see on the Survivor menu? Yeah, I think this might have been the most impressive thing I've seen. I don't know how from the ingredients they had. I'm not much of a cook myself, but I don't know how he formed that. Obviously, as a master chef, uh, that's something that he should be able to do. But I think strategically as a chef, it can go either way. 
we've seen famously in in Australia, the Australian outback, he famously was a chef and people weren't weren't that impressed with what he was kind of cooking up literally. And then yes, being the chef can be an integral role that people don't want to lose and it can keep you around. So I think Khan is probably managing that pretty well. Maybe some other parts of his personality like he's so charismatic or maybe a little too threatening, but I think as the chef whipping up some incredible tacos, he might be long for the game just on that. Well, look, I was just happy to have anything. Just a tiny sprinkle of rice and beans would have done for me. I I think there is a huge value in having that kind of morale booster of something different happening. And when you're such a skilled master chef like Khan most literally is, it is a huge kind of like strategic benefit to bring that aspect of his real world into the survival world. What would I have liked to have eaten some kind of crispy rice patty with a lentil burger that would have been fantastic but unfortunately we didn't have an immunity pin winning master chef on our brains tribe did we Haley? no that would have been amazing to have Khan there uh Khan if you're listening what I would love for you to be cooking out there in Survivor I want Survivor paella I think we can do it you've got the rice uh maybe some mussels some fish from that river bit of bush herbs yeah, Survivor Payo would be what I'd be asking for in my menu. I love everyone getting their orders in for the returning season. Just like, all right, when we're all out there again, I just want to write it down, prepare it now, because this is what I'll be expecting out there. We saw an opportunity there where Shay got to join Ben in his tribe. It was beautiful to see them reconnect. But do you think strategically that was a thing that will work in Shay's favour? How did you see that play out? I'm really enjoying this cross-tribal dynamic with all of like the, the summit that they had of a Shea going over and even some of the strategic chats in the middle of challenges, which you get with the blood versus water theme when it's so interconnected. And I know that Sam said that she really didn't need a cuddle from Mark right now, would rather focus on her tribe. Sandra later backs that up on the mat. I definitely see both sides of this. And I was actually really intrigued by the duality because I'm actually not so low on Ben bringing Shea over, even though, yes, maybe it's beyond the game a little bit and he wants to spend time with her but I think Shay did really really well in that moment and really used the loved one connection to socialize with people on the other tribe and really work that social game so I definitely see Sam and Sandra's point but I think as long as you are just investing in that social game not just spending the time with your loved one but really being just kind of having that blanket social game and being kind of kind to everyone meeting people either with your tribe or with the other tribe I'm sure Shay's tribe could spare her for just a couple of hours but I think as long as that focus is not just on your loved one Either one of those positions really works for me. So from my perspective, it's very clear that Ben and Shay are incredibly in love. So from a human angle, it's lovely to see how much they think about each other. And all Ben seems to talk about on that blood tribe is how much he loves Shay or what he's done with Shay in the past. But if I'm Sam Gash, I would completely tell myself that you want to separate your game from your loved one while you're on different tribes. So if I'm sitting down on that blood camp, Ben is so attached to the hip at Shay, no matter what, he won't be able to detach himself from the game from her. That's what I'd be telling myself. And for somebody that's in the minority alliance on that tribe, it just increases the target on his back. Yeah, I would agree. Normally in this kind of situation, you don't want to be the one who's picked to to go away, away from your tribe. It puts a spotlight on you. Uh, It might be that the other tribe is trying to get information and they think that you're going to leak it. But some of those traditional um, kind of ways to look at the game are different in a blood versus water season because like she's got Ben over there. So she's probably going to tell him whatever she needs to. So yeah, it'll be interesting to find out why they made that choice. 
Maybe it's because then she's vegan and she's not going to eat croissants and butter, but they were wrong. <laughs> I think the extra blood versus water element just adds such an interesting wrinkle because it's not just like Joey going over to Braun and there was that threatening element. Like they can really use, she can, she can really use what they are all craving. Like she goes over to blood and they're all like, how's my loved one doing? And she has so much information that they want, even just personal information that she's like an asset to them. And then she'll go back to water and they'll all say, how is my loved one doing? And she'll give them that information. So I think that there's some stuff there for her to work with. I do think that obviously you're putting a a spotlight on yourself. You're really focusing on that relationship. Like it's, it's never great to put your hand up early pretty much for anything. But I do think that there are things you can work to your advantage. And I think that she did do that and was going out of her way to kind of explain how the loved ones were doing and just be really social. So I think if you're going to do it, do it like Shay did. Wasn't it a bit awkward when Sophie went back to her old blood camp and went straight back to the boys that she thought were working with her in the minority alliance? And then you see Jordan have that interaction with her. He realizes he's got to detach himself as quickly as possible from the fallen leader of that alliance. Otherwise, he's jeopardizing his own game. But it's a it's an opportunity and a threat. I think what I would do from my perspective is get as much information as possible from my family member on the other side to see if there's any parallel between alliances on the blood and the water tribe and to take it from there. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic to see the two tribes come together at this point. I think for someone like Sam, it can be really useful because she's just tried to go for Sophie, but Sophie is still here. And that's really dangerous for Sam's game. So it gives her a chance to talk to Mark and tell him, you know, rally the troops. It's time to get Sophie out. You need to do it. So in many ways, it can be an advantage. Yeah, it's interesting to say, um, see Sophie's approach here to feel upset and to let that out and show other people that you're upset is a, quite an interesting and can be a dangerous move in a game like this because. If people know that you're against them, you give them no reason to keep you around. So maybe a better approach would have been something like what we see David do when he comes back and just humbles himself to his tribe and says, whoops, that was my fault. I've made a mistake. Oh my God, bad, bad. And kind of then he looks less threatening and he'll, he's going to work with you. So it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward now with um, some enemies in camp. Yeah. And in a game where you're trying to manage your threat level the whole time, the best thing about being voted out but not actually going home is that you've just had your threat level completely cut and reduced. So obviously the thing to do is to lean into that, be a little bit self-deprecating about that, either with blood when you're reconnected in that summit or with water, um, and obviously not like vocally confront people. But that's why Survivor is such a fun game because the chess move is to put it on you and not blame others. And the emotional thing is like, I'm really hurt by this and I'm going to express that. So I thought that was a really interesting moment. And I love that that summit and that communication there. But I also really, really enjoyed before they knew they were going to be able to actively talk, just all the kind of desperate communication between them to take out Sophie. And Sandra literally making like a throat slit motion to Nina was probably like my favorite moment of the week. Because that's like, that's the queen and princess going like literally out of blood. And it was like there in the motion. Of course, with that twist at Tribal Council, we saw for the first time a pair of loved ones playing alongside each other. Sophie was with KJ. Do you think this is a positive or negative for these guys, especially KJ? He seems a little concerned about what impact it will have on her game. Look, she still went to bat for Sophie, and I'm sure we'll talk about her plan, which I thought there was a lot of really, really great stuff around. But I don't think that them being a pair, and as Khan even says to KJ, like, I don't think that that is threatening. It would be a little bit hypocritical 
to vote someone out for being a pair. You don't know if at a swap, you might be in the same situation. So I don't know that anyone with a loved one still in the game, pretty much everyone can really do that. But I do understand that just from a personality perspective, like if Sophie alienates KJ's allies, are they going to want to work with KJ? So it's more of a personal thing for me. And I think that at a point, Sophie kind of hung back and let KJ take the strategic lead. But when she's kind of, you know, complaining about Sam to Mark or yelling at at Sam or Jordan, like there are loved ones involved in that that are on KJ and Sophie's tribe. So I definitely understand why KJ was a bit distressed by this. And then, but then like, again, it's that, it's that older big sister thing where she has to kind of go to bat for her and be protective. So that's why blood versus water is such an interesting theme because it's, it's maybe more logical to sacrifice Sophie at that point, but it's just not something that KJ is really going to be able to do. And she's going to go to bat for her strategically. I was incredibly impressed by KJ this week. So KJ is someone that has been playing quite a perfect survivor game. She's found herself in a majority alliance and then her emotional younger sister, who she's probably looked out for her entire life, has just joined the tribe in all of this huff and puff. And she's self-aware enough to realise that that could jeopardise her position in the game. What will be critical for KJ moving forward is how she manages her own sister and whether that is a benefit or a detriment to her game, and whether she has it in her to actually sever the cord so she can make it to the end game. And we hear as well that they're polar opposites, you know, they're fire and ice, they are like blood and water, the way that Sophie's super emotional, and KJ has to come through with logic. And I also thought she played really well. It's unfortunate that we didn't get to see how the plan played out because Alex had to leave. But I thought it was a really, really cool plan with a lot of numerical nuance that uh, with the 5-3-3, she gave a lot of benefit to people who really wanted to vote Sophie out. And she gave this other option, which is like, Sophie might still go. We can use her as, as a distraction. We can use her as bait. We can kind of put her in the firing line so that no one else would have to suffer. And we get the opportunity to flush two idols when people seem really scared of idols. And then she has to work hard to try and have um, Khan not realize it so that Sophie doesn't go home. I don't know that they would have pulled it off, but she gave Sophie a fighting chance when she really shouldn't have even had that chance. So again, when we have that emotion and logic, she came in through with some real extreme a numerical logic there with the plan and I thought that it was really really savvy. Now Sam found herself in a bit of a predicament this week we watched in ep4 I think it was she had to make a big choice between staying loyal and getting rid of a potential threat. Shannon how do you think she played that? I thought that she made a really good decision I mean it felt like obviously a more active flip because she's much closer to Sophie actually has an actively negative relationship with David at this point and David is the presumptive vote. So she's like making the move there with Jesse. But I wanted to point out a couple of things about Sam's position in the game. The first being that they don't need her vote. They know how hard it's going to be for her to vote out Sophie. And she's the seventh uh, of 11. They only need six. But they still want her vote. And they go to her with that. And she's clearly a tight pair with Jesse, who's just so well connected. that She has to be part of the plan. So just to even have the decision to make, I think is really speaks to her social game and where she's at in the tribe. And then I think in making the move, she backs herself on the big move and she's at the bottom of what is clearly a tight four without her. I think the words like awesome, foursome and tight four and my boys were used like a hundred times. She's aware of the fact and Jesse's aware of the fact that they're not at the top of that hierarchy and they've taken out a numerical threat. If she's going to make a personal decision, does she keep that relationship with Sophie and the fact that Sophie is loyal to her in that, in that personal way? I think yes. 
but it's a numerical threat of this four, kind of really need to address that group threat now. So I think they made a good, strong move. She can rally through that. She's still super well connected through the game. And even knowing that there could be a twist, she knows she's got Mark on the other side to back her up. And she's you know really confident in her position in the game. So I think she made a strong move based on really strong positioning. I think loyalty went out the window when Shay stood there and did nothing at Tribal Council and let Brianna cop a brick to the face. The game of Australian Survivor has evolved well beyond the point of when players sit down, don't really do much and call out loyalty. Like you perfectly pointed out, Shannon, all that Sophie spoke about at camp was her and her boys. She kept talking about her alliance of four and you've got a very experienced returning player in Sam Gash who has said in her own backstory, she's listened to every single Survivor podcast, watching and working that out. Credit to where credit's due, Sam Gash knew that she was just the peripheral number on the bottom. She dragged Jessie along to the other side and she hit the target that Sophie just simply put on herself. I have to agree with both Shannon and George. I've been in that position that Sam is in when you are in this six-person alliance, but you can tell that four of them are really, really tight. And that closeness isn't just that they are going to work together, but they're friends. You can tell this natural bond that forms between people. They're laughing together. They've got their head on your shoulder. And to be number five and six in an alliance like that, when they're that strong of a friendship, it's not a place you want to be. It feels quite threatening. You think that you're on the outs, you could just be a number that they pick off at any point. So I agree that Sam made a good choice here to go with another majority, which is the kind of minority group. But she it's a good spot as well because she still has like Sandra in that group. Dave is in that group that everyone's gunning for, especially Sandra, thanks to Sam. So, you know, it's a nice spot for Sam to be sitting and it was, a I think, a good choice for her. And I think as well, like, why should Sam accept being low in a hierarchy when she is so social, so socially connected to the point where she can be really high in the hierarchy. Like you have to think about it when you're playing the game from other people's perspective. If you're Sophie, it makes a lot of sense to have this type four, but then also some auxiliary relationships with a Sam. I think she was going to be loyal to Sam in that way. For her, that's a perfect situation. But if she's thinking about it from Sam's perspective, why would Sam want to be just basically Sophie's side character, Sophie's number in what Sam sees and every player sees as their own story. So I think it makes a lot of sense to flip on what at that point was a minority alliance, a transparent, strong minority alliance is going to get targeted. And the fact that both alliances are trying to pull Sam in speaks volumes to her social game right now. So it's quite good. Shannon, can you talk a little bit about Sophie's game so far? She herself thought that she was being quite low key. Obviously, she's a big personality, but In her book, she was pulling things back a little bit, but Sandra disagreed. She thought she was trying to be a leader too much. How do you think about her gameplay so far, knowing that she's tried to meter herself a little bit? Yeah, hard to go toe-to-toe with the Queen, who has such great awareness. She's not even the only person in this very week who will fall victim to the fact that Sandra has some sort of superpowers where she can see what you're doing no matter how subtle you think that you're being. But I think Sophie fell victim to what we in the superfan community call Culpepper Math. Based on a player named Brad Culpepper, who originated in the American Blood versus Water season, who made a strong minority alliance. And like it's just like basically counting on two hands and one toe that four of 11 equals out. Um, and when people can see that there are four of you that are so strong, you're spending all your time together, you're having these conversations that you think people aren't noticing, but a player like Sandra is, 
the other seven players will target it because they don't see themselves as part of that group. So I think for Sophie, there's there's a few things as being like that clear leadership figure, really driving home a day vote that I felt was kind of could have driven itself. Like people were very much on board with that. So kind of strongly leading the charge, being a clear leader of an alpha group of physical players that can't really be voted out. So you become the most expendable member of that group. There was just some structural things there that I think made Sophie a pretty clear target. And when Sandra sees a target, she will take her shot. I think one of the difficult things for Sophie is she's been trying to mitigate her position in the real world where she's an extremely successful business person that gives directions to people. And from her perspective, she was doing that well. But when you're out there, when you're starving in the outback over two and a half or two and a bit weeks, your true colours come out. So Sophie is someone that cobbled together the big strong boys who were essentially doing as they were told by Sophie. And you had both Sam and Sandra point that out from different perspectives and use that to paint a target on Sophie's back. And she felt it at that tribal council. Hayley, can you talk a little bit about that idea that Sam was of the thinking that Sophie was creating so much drama that she needed to go? That was part of her rationale, of course. What are your thoughts on that? If someone is creating too much drama or too much havoc in the camp, do they need to go or is it handy to keep them around because they're going to be rubbing people up the wrong way? Look, it depends. If someone is causing a stir at camp, then that might be okay for your game. As long as their guns aren't pointed at you, then that's fine. But in this case, if I'm Sam, Sophie is particularly upset with Sam feels really um, heartbroken by the loss of what she thought was a, a strong trust. So if I'm Sam and someone is there saying, you've really upset me, well, then I'm probably not going to want to keep them around because I would imagine at some point they're going to want revenge. So from Sam's perspective, absolutely. She wouldn't want to keep Sophie around after she has been voted out. That's how I would approach it as well. I'm not actually understanding why Sophie's pointing her rage only at Sam. I mean, Sam's not the only person that voted for Sophie and Sam's just done what a good survivor player should do. The easy fruit was there for the picking and she's picked it. She doesn't have a target on her own back. Sandra's still there as a future easy vote off and so is Dave. Sam's playing an extraordinary survivor game without emotions and she should get the credit that she deserves. I think Sam and Sophie seemed particularly close. We've seen Sophie say just basically that she gave Sam like her whole trust in her heart. I don't know that you should ever say that in a confessional. I think it's just kind of <laughs> triggering the fact that that person will turn on you and they will use that confessional um, to kind of foreshadow it. But I do think that uh, from Sophie's perspective, like I think she was going to be loyal to Sam. It was just kind of in that personal relationship way. and She wasn't part of the whole group. But I think if she's watching it back, like she's seeing that that tight four was clearly there, clearly vocalized and hopefully seeing that Sam wouldn't really accept being, having like a strong relationship with you, but not being part of the core group. So maybe, maybe it's changed in hindsight, but obviously in the game, people can get upset when a good friend and someone they've made a close relationship with is a key part of the reason that they've been voted out. I agree. I understand from Sophie's perspective why she would feel upset. Sophie felt like when Dave had a go at Sam that she really stood up for her and was really hurt by that for Sam. So she has already felt this emotional connection. So I do get that it hurts when someone you liked and you thought had your back has voted you out. And you can feel any kind of way about that. The trick in Survivor is to feel that 
give it to the camera. Don't give it to anyone in the tribe. Come back and admit your mistake. Oh, I shouldn't have been so obvious about my alliance. You know, I'm, I'm here to play with everyone now. It feels like everyone's woken up a little bit to the fact that Khan is a serious player. What did you make of KJ's tactics to try and get rid of the threat? I think KJ is absolutely spot on and she's somebody that has been gathering information slowly, slowly and disseminating it within her tribe. Yes, she got Sophie, her younger sister, coming there with a big target on her back, but she also has started laying the groundwork for the future vote off of King Khan. Khan is someone who has the hidden immunity idol or a public idol, as everybody knows about it. He has a social bond. He's providing everybody with food and everybody likes him. Now's the time for KJ to start that disinformation and propaganda campaign that Khan's a potential winner and a threat, and it sets him up to take him down. Yeah, I agree. KJ's playing really well here. Khan should be nervous, and we see him being a bit paranoid, and that's really justified because people are whispering his name. He has an idol. Everybody knows. So, you know, it is in his best interest to start to decrease that threat level as soon as he can. Who knows? He might have played that idol should a tribal council have gone ahead that night. Yeah, he's he's in a precarious position right now. I think Khan as well is a rare player where you can actually see the charisma coming through the screen. Sometimes it's really hard to translate how someone might be coming across with people. But Khan is just like, you feel the energy and the presence and the humor and pretty much everything he says, he's always on. And I feel that I can tell why he is such a huge threat there, of course, is the idol. But everyone is onto the fact that he's just, he is the kind of player who could win because he has that charisma. He has that social game. He's clearly thinking super smart. Uh, and now everyone's onto it. Even Mark, who we made the relationship with last week. I'm very much here for King Kong versus King Khan. It's, it's harder to say than it is maybe to, to watch. It's, it's great to watch. So I'm here for the battle. I think it will be playing out pretty soon. And I really like both of those players. So I would like for it to kind of go well somehow, but we don't lose them. But I think it could get pretty, pretty brutal there. As George mentioned, you know, there's some idols in play. There's a couple we know about and everyone seems to know about them. Haley, how important is it to try and flush out an idol this early on? Is it top of mind or is it only later in the game that you think, okay, this is a real problem? Look, it's easier to flush out idols when there's more numbers in the game that you can work with. As we get down the line and there are less players, it's harder to split these votes. Look, if you feel confident enough in your big majority that you can split a vote, then that's great. Um, we are only in week two, so people are you know, starting to feel more comfortable in their alliances so that they could do that. Yeah, it is pretty threatening to know someone has an idol and sometimes it might be better for them to just play it and get it off their back. Yeah. Well, as someone that has the mindset, the only good person with a hidden immunity idol is me. You should always make the person holding the idol the primary target. Who else has an idol on this water tribe? It's Shay, and Shay dodged the bullet on the Brianna vote. That could be a missed opportunity. We've got someone that is an intelligent player who's doing a biomedical degree, someone that is extremely fit and physical, has an immunity idol, and still is not the primary target. When you have the opportunity to strike, out the person holding the idol or to just flush it out if they don't play it, you have to take that when it's available. Yeah, speaking of that, they actually didn't make any of the primary target, which I actually think that there was some sense in that because she seems really tight with Jordan. They need all of those people of the Alpha Alliance to swing over in order to split the vote. So they can't make her the target, 
even though she has the idol, they make her the secondary target. I just thought it was really funny that they're like, well, we'll scare her into playing the idol. Then her good friend Jordan is like, well, I'm going to tell her to play her idol like out of help. But actually he just helped them with their plan to like unnecessarily play and flush her idol. Like really it would have been much better if Amy had he done nothing. So I just thought that was funny. But I do think that there is like a fear of idols that is like hardcore in this game. Uh, People really want to flush the idols. It might have something to do with both of the people on my panel right now with George and Haley using idols to such strong effect in different ways in, in your scenes. And people are very terrified of it. So my prediction would be that we possibly see more idols than ever in this season because I think people will be very quick to try and flush them. And I think that they'll be rehidden and found just as quickly. So I think we could see a bit of a revolving door of idols this season. George, let's talk about Alex quickly. Obviously, he wasn't in great physical health there, really struggling with his back. What did you make of his decision to ask the tribe to vote him out? I think it was a really kind of brave and emotional decision because my biggest fear going out there was suffering an injury and needing to be medevaced. And Alex has clearly been suffering with pain and Haley's the pain expert, and I'm sure she has some particular thoughts on this, but he's been suffering in pain with his back injury for so long and he's made that brave decision to leave the game. Yeah, I have a lot of empathy for Alex in in this position he's in. You know, he started the game, all he did was bend over and he started to have some spasms and pain in his back. It's not uncommon that that can happen, but when you have pain in your back, there is no position that you can move in. You can't even breathe without that hurting. And it's really hard because pain is invisible to empathize when someone who's young and fit and is still performing in challenges is suffering all the time, every day, every night for this long. So the fact that he stayed in that long when he had suffered his injury so early um, is super commendable. The fact that he pushed himself so hard in those challenges, he was one of the last two left in that immunity challenge, incredibly commendable. And, you know, if, if it's affecting you so severely and emotionally pain affects you so badly that you have to leave the game, then unfortunately so be it. And it's really just so unfortunate for so many reasons, obviously, for anyone to leave the game under those circumstances. But the Water Tribe just loved Alex. I mean, we talk about some of these couples. I say, you know, find you someone who looks at you like the Water Tribe was looking at Alex. They just like desperately did not want him to go home. Even when he wanted it, they they wouldn't let him go out of the game. They refused to vote him out. And I know there was other stuff in there and, and other things they were trying to do with taking out enemies or threats and flashing idols. But they just really, really loved him. And I think that had he been able to physically manage it, he could have gone really, really far. So just really, really hard to see anyone leave the game like that. Let's switch to Sandra if we can. Feels like in Ep 6, Blood sort of woke up to her a little bit. Shannon, what do you think about how they went about trying to get her out? I think with Sandra, the issue is she's multiple steps ahead of you because she's onto the dynamics before everyone else is. So even at a point where they're trying to come for her in Amy's alliance later on, she's already approached the alphas um, and started that connection and started those plans when they really needed a lifeline. But I think what we're seeing with Sandra as well is that she's very often, she'll get a younger female partner her Krista, her Courtney, her Michaela. And I think that we are seeing it with Michelle in this season. And I'm extremely jealous of Michelle and I want to be Michelle because that would be extremely fun and awesome. But I think Michelle was key here. And then seeing Amy find the idol and disseminating that information 
might have pushed the swing alphas over the line. So again, Sandra has a cool, strong female duo and they're causing some havoc together. Yes, Sandra is so amazing at not being the threat and directing the threat. And she keeps doing it. Like she can say, hey, these four are tight. Uh, so let's get them out and Sophie goes. Or then she says, hey, Amy and David and Jane are tight. That's threatening. So she just has this incredible ability to direct everybody to look in any other direction at a threat than looking at her. I just couldn't get over it when she just described herself as the American Eagle swooping on the rookies. And that's exactly what she did. Everybody knows that Sandra will always have a target on her back. And all that Sandra needs to do to survive week after week is to just shift it, even if it is at the very last moment to somebody else. That's what Sandra has done twice now. She has shifted the target from herself to Jay, of all people, who was completely under the radar the whole time, and she's surviving, and she's doing it really well. Yeah, can we talk a little bit about Jay and how he sort of fell victim to just Sandra's very subtle hints and movements around? He would have had no idea, I guess, Haley. and, you know, do you think he was the best choice at the time to get rid of? I actually find this um, quite fascinating for Sandra and quite impressive for Sam as well because Sam put this rogue vote on Sandra and somehow that all been shifted onto Dave. So Sandra's gunning for Dave constantly. And the reason Jay went home was because they wanted to split the votes on Amy and someone and she wanted David out. But the fear was that Amy would use that idol to save David because Amy knew the plan. That's why Jay ended up going home. So it wasn't really anything to do with Jay besides the fact he was in this kind of small three-person clique. It was because they couldn't really go for David. And so I'm constantly impressed that um, Sam has managed to get away with that stray vote. Yeah, so voting for a third option was invented in Survivor Fiji where they voted for Regato. That's someone who they feel is never going to have an idol played on them. And they also split the vote. So they had a bit of a hybrid strategy there. And that's really what Jay falls victim to, just being part of the strong group and being just the least likely target of the group, which makes him the most likely target. But I'm with you, Haley, in that I don't understand how this is happening. For Sam's rogue vote for Sandra last week, and they're really, really tight. And I know that you and George suggested last week that Sam should lie about the Sandra vote. But honestly, like, I always think that that's way too difficult. It was suggested in your season with, Car and the Danny vote, try shift it. Um, with you, Haley, when there were votes for Danny at the Simon vote, people were suggesting it. But like, I just kind of feel like that stuff will always come out. And I don't know how Sam is pulling that off, especially against Sandra, the person who we know does have that like incredible awareness and she has only her sights set on Dave. If that ever comes out, that will be just a crazy battle between these two strong women in Sam and Sandra. But for now, the fact that Sam is hiding that and just having to deal with like the public sparring about Dave's vote for Sandra, uh, that's just an incredible plot point to me. Yeah, I think the fact that we saw Jay go out highlights that idea that everyone talks about every time they're at tribal, you, you know, no one is ever safe. George, whenever you went to tribal, was there ever a time where you thought, okay, I'm fairly certain I know how this is going to play out? Was there ever any certainty when you turn up at tribal? Well, if you're in control of your game and your destiny, you know what the outcome of the result is. That's how a good operator works. And for me, yes, it was dicey from time to time, but every single time the legwork was put in at camp. Yeah, I was wearing my Russian granny buff style. At times I thought I was going to cop a significant amount of votes, but at none of those times did I think I was going home. 
but for the time, Kara sacrificed herself for me. So the thing is this, Survivor can be played from two perspectives, from the perspective of lowering your threat level, which is what 90% of Survivor players do if they've researched the game, or you can go on the offensive and whip out the sword. And that's what Sam Gash is doing from my perspective. Sam is someone that has put targets deliberately and aggressively on people's backs whilst also not burning any relationship except for Sophie, who's now not even on her tribe. Sandra's a target because it's Sandra. You've got Dave, who's a target because Sandra thinks that he voted for her. And then you've got the minority big boys alliance in Croc and Jordan, who are just there waiting to be picked off. This is excellent gameplay from Sam. She's playing firmly, forthrightly, aggressively, whilst also minimizing her threat level. It's fantastic to see. Yeah, it is great to watch. So uh, Sandra, Khan, Soph, all emerging as threats, but they've all managed to make their way through to the next week. Haley, out of those guys, who do you think is going to go the furthest? What are you expecting to see? Oh, tough. Um, oh, I just want Sandra to stay on my screen as long as I can. I love watching her play. I love watching her adapt her game to the Australians. And I love watching her like hit it in the challenges. She's staying not very close to the bench. She is giving it her all. So I want to see Sandra go the longest out of those three. Yeah, I actually do think that Sandra will make it the furthest of those three because they've been saved in different ways this week, but those ways really are polar opposites. I mean, Sophie's mostly through like mechanisms of the game, Alex possibly having to leave. So that really is, she's being saved by the game itself. Khan was possibly saved by the things, then he has an idol, so he has trinkets to save him and that's to, to his credit as well to kind of have these superpowers in the game. But I think that he's really kind of on his last line of defenses, whereas Sandra is saving herself without kind of any of those game mechanics. It's pure awareness, socializing and politicking. And that's the kind of stuff that you always have. Even if an idol gets flushed, you kind of always have your wits about you. So based on what they kind of have to protect them, um, and how much luck is involved in kind of all of those circumstances, I think Sandra is the most long for the game. What I want to see next week is Sophie adapt her style of gameplay. Sophie has an opportunity here. She's still in the game. Yes, she's been saved by a twist. Yes, she's been saved by a withdrawal. But she has the opportunity to readjust, pivot, and focus on what matters and winning that crown of soul survivor. So I'm hoping that Sophie can turn it around. Aside from that, both Khan and Sandra are playing excellently and long may it continue. It's time now for one of our most loved segments. It is the world of Survivor with Shannon. But this week we're talking twists. Obviously, Shannon, we saw a big one this week where uh, the Water Tribe had a spanner thrown in the works, to say the least. A tribe swap is always a fascinating moment and so is the twist when someone you think is being voted out gets to stay in the game what did you think of this week's twist and can you tell us a little bit about some of your favorites over the years if i'm going to say some of my favorite individual tribe swaps over the years i actually think that this one might be up there i really enjoyed the way that this non-elimination episode was done uh, we've seen individual tribe swaps or just a couple of people swapping tribes throughout Australian survivor history in these non-eliminations and i i often find it a bit unfair because what happens is someone gets voted out they go to a tribe of opponents to the people who just voted them out and they all kind of revel in the fact that they hate those people and that person is brought in with open arms, often to the detriment of the people who had that successful vote who should be rewarded for it. A really good example of that is 
Tara and Annalise going to Asanga in Australian Survivor 2017, and a player like AK who led that vote and who had no idea that that vote was going to happen. It was just a regular tribal council. He didn't know that that save was going to happen. And he suffered for it to the point where he actually got voted out because of it when the tribe swapped. So I think what makes this really interesting is how it interacts with the blood versus water dynamic. Sophie isn't going to a group that can all kind of hate on the people who voted her out together. She's going to loved ones who can back up those players who did make that vote so that they're more supported in that. She has a much, much harder battle in front of her in going to that group. So she suffers for that, which you should if you get voted out. So she's still in the game, but with that hardship that you should have um, if you've been saved by a twist. As well, I also really found it fun to see her reconnect with KJ, see the difference in relationships when you're on the same beach together and also just to kind of see that emotion and she had a very dramatic reaction to it with all the cross-tribal stuff that really played out in interesting and entertaining ways so I love the way that this non-elimination was done. You've got to know that things are going to get a bit hairy when the other tribe is invited along to tribal. Yeah that's a really good indication that tonight is not going to go as you may be planned ever since Australian Survivor 2016 in the very early days when Two tribes went to tribal council and then just voted other people to the other tribe instead. And there's been lots of different ways that another tribe there has kind of interacted with the vote, whether it's two, two tribes going to tribal council and people who want to challenge deciding who goes, uh, the eliminated contestants making fire, a save or send mechanism. There are definitely ways to read that this is going to be a non-elimination episode. But at the same time, it can be difficult. In, in George and Haley's season, for example, in that first tribal council with six people getting sent out, you might think, okay, this is like a, a massive thing. That person's going to be safe. And Phil wasn't. So it becomes dangerous when you're trying to read production and hinging your game on that. And that's something I know that Haley has spoken about in the Baden vote from her season. Yes, three people were voting and then one person was voting. It seemed like maybe there'd be a save mechanic. But then what if there isn't? Or what if that save mechanic doesn't benefit you? So you kind of have to play your game around production, hope that you have a good enough social game and good enough positioning to work it out if production does interfere at that point with a, with a twist or a game mechanic. And just kind of back yourself as Sam and Jesse do with the plan that you want to do and then hope you can rally from there. But it's hard to just put all of your eggs in the production basket, even when there are clear indications like another tribe coming to tribal council. What the survivor gods throw at you, you can never particularly expect. But even when a twist happens, the point of the game is who is able to change and adapt their strategy to work around that to their benefit. So I was kept on my toes. I had multiple plans available and that worked for me. And then Haley, to her credit, part of the reason why she won the crown of soul survivor is when she came back from her twist, she had a change of tact and it worked. What's going to separate the good from the bad players in Blood versus Water is who can adapt the best and then execute their plans again. Yeah, it's easy from the couch to say, oh, obviously there's going to be a twist, but it's it's not always obvious when you're out there. And, you know, as Shannon has said, like the twist might not be what you think it is. Just because it's happened in a previous season doesn't mean they're going to do that again. But, yeah, so this was a, um, an interesting way to do a um, keep someone in the game twist. Yeah, I mean, Kara got voted out last season, made it to the final four by going to Braun. Tara was that other great example who makes it to the final two after being voted out. And Kara didn't go to a tribal council with Braun, but she made those relationships and in ways became like a Braun in heart um, just by being voted out onto that tribe. So it's a way to make a connection often. Uh, even in Strange Survivor 2016, someone like Nick gets swapped over to the other side. He makes connections. They get power in getting to choose the tribes. He brings over JL as like a bit of a sacrifice. It's a really good way usually to get revenge. But that's why I do like 
the blood versus water theme, balancing that a bit so that that person can't just go, as, as Sophie was hoping to do, can't just go on this revenge tour with a bunch of tools and weapons and players in their arsenal to do that with because there is that love one connection. So I think it was a pretty clear plan for uh, the blood tribe to get their majority loved ones and some powerful loved ones on the other side in Mark, for example, in Khan, in, in Geordie to do their dirty work for them and kind of clean up that mess, pass the buck over to the loved ones and try and sort out that situation. Now you would have seen at that reward challenge, Sophie expressed that she now has the power to vote out the loved ones of the people that betrayed her. Do you think that was a clever idea to articulate? Yeah, I think in a regular season, that's you know often true. It's like, I'm going to come in with some power here, even as an outsider. Um, and if we swap, for example, I'll have allies to take you out. Kara did literally do that in the last season. The people that voted her out, when, they, when she swapped back with Braun, uh, she had the power to take out all of those brains that she wanted to. That is often the dynamic. But I think the blood versus water element here makes it really, really tricky to her. And as I think Sam pointed out, like if there's a majority of bloods who voted you out, then their loved ones are a majority now on your new tribe and we can get them to vote you out as well, which I guess we'll see how that plays out. So tricky spot for Sophie. She gets a second chance at the game, but she's absolutely not home on just that chance. And we saw that tribal, the colour just drain from Sam's face when she found out that Sophie, who'd just been eliminated, was actually coming back to the game. George, you've got a bit of experience in that field. What's that sensation like or what goes through your mind when you see someone who you thought was no longer in the game return? I think the difficult thing with Survivor is you can't always predict what's going to happen and there's no doubt that Sam Gash looked like an absolute ghost at that tribal council That's why I like the element of surprise. I would have preferred it if Sophie just walked down the path and then popped her head at the next day's reward challenge and then everybody had the shock of their life there. It gives people less time to react. It keeps people on their toes and the real test of character comes out when people have to adapt really, really quickly. We did see Sophie and Sam take each other on at the challenge after Sophie came back. And that was scary because Sophie was either going to settle her score in um, a vote out or she was going to do it in a battle at a challenge. And she certainly did when she threw that big punch at Sam and knocked her out. I was terrified for Sam. So to see Sam then end up small, tiny Sam, push her off the edge was pretty thrilling to watch. I think... Even with the blood versus water element, you can see the fact that people have been voted out and then have gone on to do very, very well in the game. I mean, Haley, technically that happened too, although you know, I have my own thoughts about Haley being voted out and kind of the twist mechanisms around that. But I think you have to come back in with the humility that Haley showed and really just be like, I'm a new person now, I'm changing my game, um, you know, put it on yourself, not, not really lashing out at other people, take that, that cut to your threat level as a really positive thing for your game. Like there are ways that you can do it. I'm not even being helped by the mechanics of the game, but just in your playing of it. So I think we've seen that done really, really well when Haley did it. And I think anyone should try and use that strategy. Yeah. So when I was voted out, I went to Redemption Rock. So I had about 24 hours to process those emotions. And I feel like they were quite different. So my emotions were really embarrassment at having been voted out? What mistake did I make that led me to this path where my whole tribe has now voted me out? And how can I rectify that when I come back in? So when I came back in, you know, I really had 
some humility. I am ready to correct my ways, ready to like lower my threat level. Whereas what we see with Sophie is she's upset and angry and that's a totally justified feeling to have. But then she pulls that back out onto everybody else instead of kind of stepping back and being like, all right, so I I did something that made me threatening and now I'm going to change that. So because we don't see this correction, it'll be interesting to see what the pathway is now and to see if she has learned anything from that experience of being voted out. Let's check in with George now, who actually caught up this week with Jay, who was eliminated in episode six. Jay, it's great to have you here on Australian Survivor Talking Tribal. Uh, The first question I'd like to ask you is what drew you to Australian Survivor? Firstly, thank you, King George. This is an absolute honour. I want my buff for you. Thank you. What drew me? Well, when I was really young, I watched Survivor. Do you know the honest truth? And I'm not just saying this. I actually watched last season and for some reason I was fascinated with you. And, And I'm not lying. I watched an episode with one of my mates and like, you have to watch this bloke, George is a pisser. So I think that got me hooked on last season, but I, I hadn't watched previous season. But obviously it's competitive. You're in the outback. You've got no phone. Melbourne was going into lockdown. And I just thought, get me out of here. How would you describe your time in the outback when you compare it to Melbourne where you live? Uh, comparing it to Melbourne, well, right now I can hear buses driving past, trucks, cars. I'm in Elwood near the beach so if I get hot I can go to the beach whereas out there if you get hot you kind of stay hot yeah it's kind of like that isn't it did you have a favorite time or favorite moment while you were out there I think my favorite moment was probably every time I got into the water or the hammock or or eating or when we got a we had a croissant and coffee reward that was easily one of my favorite times I was mixing milk sugar and jam and I made a paste so that was probably my favorite time there what was the hardest thing about playing Australian Survivor for you? Hardest thing was definitely, oh, so you don't see you don't see this on the TV, but our sleeping arrangement, as you'd know, we slept in a line, in, in a Congo line. So we'd spoon one way and then it'd start, you know, like dominoes down the end, someone at elbow, and then we'd all spoon the other way. So if you were dead asleep, finally, you'd get an elbow and you'd have to, move about this way. So I'd say the sleep deprivation, that got hard. And I was next to the fire. So I was, I was roasting some nights at 3am and like everyone else was freezing. So I think the sleeping was the hardest. Yeah. A lot of people don't think about that, but that was part of the uh, most difficult part of the experience for me as well. In terms of the bonds that you made on the tribe, who were you closest with? So Amy and Dave, easily Uh, I was really close with Michelle and like I don't think we've seen much of Michelle yet but she was you'd know when you're out there to find people that are kind of half genuine feels nice because otherwise you you get you know you get homesick you get I don't know it can it can become a lot so I had Michelle Amy and Dave who made me feel like you know I, I wasn't I guess you know how anything that feels nice you cling on to Let's talk about the tribal council where you were voted off. It was a huge blindside. How did you feel about that blindside? I started to feel pretty comfortable. Like I said, I felt like I had Amy, Dave, Jesse, Sam, and myself. And then Mish and I felt Sandra were more on our alliance rather than the Alpha Alliance. And I mean, Amy had an idol that shook things up. 
I think when your partner goes, you become really vulnerable. So, you know, Andy left, Kate leaves, Brianna leaves, Dave gets voted but has an idol, Alex leaves, I leave. There feels like there's a pattern. So whoever breaks that pattern, I think, will go far. And if you take yourself back, when you got back into camp from the immunity challenge, is there anything you think you could have done differently in that scramble before you walked to the tribal council? Absolutely. I was way too comfortable and I felt safe. I actually felt safe and secure. I watched your season and you said every day you feel like the pressure's on you and I reckon that puts you in an aggressive mindset or fight or flight. I was not in fight or flight. I was sitting on a hammock thinking, you know, Dave's a chance to go home. Let's save Dave. And that's all I thought. So I probably could have scrambled a bit more and spoke to Sandra. Speaking of Sandra, who do you think is the biggest threat right now? Is it her or is there anyone else we should keep an eye on for? I definitely don't think Sandra is the biggest threat. I think Sandra is, I mean, she's won twice. She's the queen. Internally, how it feels out there, I guess this is why she's so good. You don't feel like she's a threat and she just, like she said, she picks you off one by one. But I can't see her winning Australian Survivor this year only because I know like for her to win three, I, I, that, that, that seems basically impossible, especially because we all have said, let's get rid of her next week. Let's get rid of her next tribal. Let's get rid of her next tribal. I can't see her lasting the whole way. I reckon Jordan from Blue Tribe, Jordy, big threat. Mark, big threat. And I'd say Chrissy and Shay. Well, Jay, thanks so much for joining us. It was great watching you play Australian Survivor and hopefully we get to see you around soon. Hopefully I'll see you at the soccer, the next soccer game. (laughs) Thanks, George. Thanks, Jay. There you go. Interesting to see what Jay had to say about his experience on Australian Survivor. Things are really heating up, so you do not want to miss the next episode. Of course, you can catch it Sunday night, 7.30 on 10 or on 10 Play On Demand as well. And a new episode of this show is going to drop straight after episode 9. 